This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Hello, this is Kelly and Ramia. We're back with you, and we are glad you're back with us. It is a Thursday. I just want to say to the control room that I hear myself back completely, so it might be what's throwing me off right now. But I'm here. Kelly McDonald is also here. Kels, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm waving at everybody. Got a beautiful day. And I know this is the onslaught before. Like the rain stopped here. Mm. You folks on our meeting were complaining about rain in Toronto. Clean the place up. It's good for it. Uh, But here in London, rain has ceased for now. Temperatures are nice before the cold starts settling in and the rain returns. Yeah. Um, This is like a November day in October. So somebody's got their calendar all backwards. I I was going to say it feels like April in October. But yeah, pretty much the same thing. Yeah, yeah, and speaking of going backwards in time, uh, can we get a little nostalgic, please? I know how much you love this conversation around animals. So, did you or your family have a childhood pet growing up? I didn't say a beloved childhood pet, because again, we're talking to Kelly here. But, Kels, tell us about your childhood um, pet. I don't know about the rest of my family. Let me just get settled here on the couch. It's a chair, <laughs> folks. I'm kidding. Uh, I had a cat. My cat's name was Candy. I oh. love the song Candyman, so we named the cat after the song. And but you I named had the my cat. cat for just one. Well, well yeah, I think so. I, I don't really remember. I don't really remember. I think my family did because I like that song. Well, the cat was yours. Well, yeah, technically, my, I'm not sure if my here. siblings before me, you know, had had any. I'm not really sure. Okay. Um, I I only recall one pet. And that was Candy the cat. Now, did you spend a lot of time with Candy? Enough. <laughs> you remember how, uh, what kind how of cat? How much time? Candy no, was? I don't remember things like that with really? animals. Not no, even like if it attention. was an orange tabby or a black cat or a tuxedo. No, no. colors, nothing. No, no, it okay. wasn't a formal cat. No tuxedo. <laughs> but this is sweet. I mean, I thought it was pretty sweet. I, like, ass- I loved my cat. Yeah. You did. Mm. I assumed you had a pet. No reason why I should have assumed that, but I feel like you had. Yeah, but again, again, the cat was foisted upon me. No, no. You named her. Oh, yeah, sure. Sure. Oh, I named her, but she was just there. I had Mm. to call her something, especially saying, get out of here, Candy. Go away. No, no, that was just out of love. You know, that love. Did you say you you didn't have a cat or an animal? Uh, oh, when I was right. a kid, I had a hamster. Yeah, we His talked about that on the His formal name was King, but yeah. most of the time he was referred to as Hammyster the Hamster. Because you want to tell us what happened to him? Yeah, it's very sad, actually. Uh, yes, it really is. traumatizing going back to these moments. But one day when I was at school, my mother gave Your King mom. away. She right. said, "We don't take care of the hamster." And she's very tired of taking care of him for us. Obviously, we're kids; we don't want to clean up this stinky cage so you didn't she gave him away to somebody who would better take care of him it's not like the, the things correct. you hear about with kids you know oh he went to visit the farm he may not be back no like my mom actually gave king away to her friend well i'll have you know Bad. 
I did take care of Candy. So there. There you go. I knew you did. All right, let's see what's coming up on today's show. Thursday edition of Kelly and Ramia. We're flipping through quirky stories from around the globe with Grant Hardy. We call it What in the World? He's got a few stories for us. Mary Mammoliti, she's going to join us to share 10 surprising kitchen items that you actually can clean in your dishwasher, something that many of us stop and say, is this dishwasher friendly? Mm -hmm. Do I need to take out my entire blender and take it apart? Plus, yeah. we have a roundtable in hour two as well, and Margaret Weld and our friend of the show and former In the Know contributor is joining us. Kelly's got a whole bunch of topics he wants to get to there. Okay, this is the um, the story as I have it. We'll talk about updates in a second. But new court documents say an off-duty airline pilot who tried to cut the engines off in midair told police he had been struggling with depression. State prosecutors in Oregon have uh, filed 83 counts of attempted murder against 44-year-old Alaskan pilot Joseph uh, David Emerson, and we're going to get the report on it right now. Emerson was off duty, sitting in the cockpit jump seat, when authorities say he stood up, said, I'm not okay, and tried to pull the plane's T-handles. Court documents show Emerson told investigators he had not slept in 40 hours, felt he was having a nervous breakdown, and mentioned using psychedelic mushrooms about 48 hours earlier. Okay, so there's obviously a lot more complexity to this than just mm -hmm. the mental health. We're talking about substance abuse. We're talking about his uh, power and role in the situation as a pilot. Uh, you know, the the person who has the wherewithal and the knowledge to do what he did and have done it successfully if he had gone all the way through. Uh, Emerson could be sentenced to 20 years in prison if he's found guilty with interfering with the flight crew. Mm -hmm. So, Kels... Obviously, the first thing that I feel is fear. Uh, this is a bit of a terrifying situation, knowing that someone who has the capacity to bring down a flight full of passengers oh, yeah. could have done it. And it's almost a full stop after that. There's a lot of justification. There's a lot of consideration for mental health. There's, you know, just the gray area of it all and what's going to happen in court. But the fear is debilitating. I mean, I, I don't yeah. know. It's a hard one because he has the privilege of being able to sit up there um, as as a pilot, as you know, a licensed pilot, and doing his time, so he can sit up there with the crew. But in this case, it, it could become harmful because he also knows exactly what to do and not in the right state of mind could have created a lot of harm. I'd hate to see this turn on others who have that privilege yeah. as a as a person who's put their time in flying or all their hours and their life doing that. If they started to put a blanket rule that no, we can't be letting anyone else in there, we've got to secure the cabin even more so. So you're sad about that. You're obviously sad for the person thankful that it didn't get any worse yeah um definitely exactly that it didn't go through i don't want to say as planned because that's a legend but it didn't go through so these people's lives were saved but now what we're doing is backtracking backtracking into his uh his background his state of mind in the present moment but also these the substances we've heard about these psychedelic mushrooms and all the other kind of things that we could figure out retroactively uh, to think what led him here and i wonder mm -hmm. you know we talk about stress tests in different ways kels and i wonder if this is one of these things we really have to change and tweak and adapt and develop the system as we go because um, we can't have these things being a risk 
these yeah, no, situations. No. no, and Ram, I'll just say in closing, um, as we uh, get uh, get towards mm-hmm. the rest of the program here, I do have to say simply that to me, it's what the man needs now. We're thankful that no one else got it. There's a reason yep. something happened here, whether it's stress, upset, mental health condition. Uh, there's obviously something and, and hopefully he goes along with everything and they're able just mm-hmm. to close it all off and whatever needs to be done. I'm sure the man understands. I, I wasn't right in my head. Yep. Exactly. Anybody in any capacity for, for jobs and work of all kinds, but especially if you're leading equipment, uh, handling equipment, there's got to be more that we can do to make you sure bet. that things are safe. Let's sure. take a break. And we're going to come back with Michael Fair. He's going to give us his thoughts on Graphic Audio's newest audio drama. It's called Cult of the Spider Queen. Yes, Cult of the Spider Queen. We're going to find out more about that after the break on Kelly and Ramia. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Welcome back. Check one, two. Yes, I'm here. Kelly, are you here? I'm over here. Oh, good. I'm waving at you. Right. I'm here in London. What's even better is I'm not here twice. I love that. Thank goodness. You were um, hearing yourself twice? <laughs> not anymore. So we're all good. Was it like go. a delay or an echo like, you know, in the mountains? It was like, no, not that hard. It was just like having a, another me right there. Talking? Right yeah. there. And so if you said right there, right there. Mm, that no, kind, that delay. Less. Yes, exactly. Okay. But, you know, all is well now, so might as well move on to audio entertainment. Here on Kelly and Ramia, we like to talk tech and audio ten- entertainment with Mike Fair on Thursdays. Audio entertainment and accessible technology are increasingly important in our lives. I'm Mike Fair, here to help you make the most out of your devices. We'll share tech tips and product reviews. Plus, I'll steer you towards the best accessible games, audio dramas, and podcasts. We'll talk about it all here on Kelly and Ramya. We're on the audio entertainment countdown to Halloween, and chances are good that at least one of the major audio drama companies will give us something terrifying in time for Halloween. Graphic Audio has done just that. They've released their third in its Arkham uh, horror series. Uh, yeah, double checking. Arkham horror series. And Mike, you're here to give us your thoughts on Cult of the Spider Queen. The name alone is very intriguing. What distinguishes this series of Lovecraft-inspired tales. And we know how much you love Lovecraft-inspired tales. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and these, this is, um, basically, it's their, it, the series is commissioned by Fantasy Flight Games. They're a game publisher. And they do uh, role-playing adventures for uh, Lovecraft. There's a system called Call of Cthulhu, among many others out there, that uh, people can actually adventure in, in this kind of thing. So they're trying to drum up interest in that. And uh, so basically the, the characters are usually flawed in these stories and they're up against supernatural alien forces of some description. And uh, basically the whole premise of these is that truths, there's, if we, the only reason we're still alive is that we don't know that what would kill us. Like there's mm. truth that is better not to know. And if we ever found out, it would drive us mad. So basically that's, that's Lovecraft's basic contention. We are... Uh, bec- our ignorance is our best defense. <laughs> ignorance basically. is bliss, right? <laughs> yep. So I, it's, uh... I, I always yep, found it difficult, Michael, with 
sci-fi um you know around halloween right in my head oh no 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 that's not you know and yet we talk of like something like war of the worlds the you know the most well-known um scary out of space thing brought to halloween um and and martians and that kind of thing uh, i always wonder where we would be with halloween in this era with with that or without that i should say um give us a little more on the outline of this story so basically uh what we have here is andy van nortwick is with the Arkham Advertiser. He's a young, ambitious reporter. And there's this package. He goes into work uh, feeling kind of like no one really values him. He sees this package. It's a, it's from Brazil. It's heavy. It's big. And it's it's addressed just to the paper, no one's specific. So he distracts right. the mailman kind of and, and changes the address on the package so it looks like it's coming for him. And it, and it works. He gets this package. He thinks this could be his big break. And, and this package is a film canister with a note that says Maud Bryan is alive. She's a missing director, actress turned director, documentarian. And she's down in Brazil trying to uncover secrets of this cult of people who worship spiders and the spider queen. And uh, so that, she's basically in the jungle filming this and has gone missing. No one's heard from her for a year. So basically uh, she, uh, this expedition is uh, put together to try and uh, you know rescue her and also find gold that is hinted at by some of the artifacts that this, this cult uh, seems to have. And uh, other people, this one lady, uh, Iris, an anthropologist, is helping Andy, trying to convince this rich investor to fund the expedition. She seems to have mysterious motives for going, connected mm-hmm. with a husband and uh, that, that died there in the jungle. So... Uh, th- this expedition has some very, uh, you know, no one really quite understands what they're getting into in various ways. And it's, it, it, you know, as, as they get deeper into the jungle, mm. things get more and more dangerous. And, uh, you know, Andy is is well and truly in over his head. So it's uh, it's it's an adventure story with very dark elements. It's quite interesting because there are a lot of characters you can explore aside from the main character, Andy, right? Like there are a lot of different uh, elements of humanity being weaved in the anthropological side, the scientific side, and then just like, you know, human beings, what's going on with them. So I think that's why, you know, Lovecraft makes it how Lovecraft makes it interesting. So this kind of thing is uh, based on that, right? How does Andy contribute to the expedition? Well, he is uh, in way over his head. Uh, he's Clearly. never had any, any <laughs> travel experience before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he's you know, so he's he's really in over his head. Uh, he's very observant, though. He is a journalist, and he thinks like a journalist. So he's always always picking out details that other people miss, and he's kind of you know working that way to try and and put together things. He's also young and fit, so he's you know he's useful in that physical sense of being useful. Uh, and he knows this is his chance at a big break. He's in this for keeps. He needs to succeed because he has put his whole future at risk uh, doing this. So he needs to come back with something. And he's he's all in for this. So he's going to do whatever it takes to find out the truth, to find out what's going on, and to hopefully bring back uh, uh, Maud Bryan and uh, you know get an exclusive with her. Hmm, interesting. Sounds good. I, I love the different things you can do, including learning about these characters, but each of the development, like you say, however, the flawed part. Uh, what, what What's the story behind Jacob and Ursula? 
Yeah, these two are a couple of archaeologists, and they just can't seem to get good stable funding. So they are willing to act as guides to keep people alive who want to go into the jungle. And uh, they agreed to help this expedition. So they're very competent, very expert in keeping alive and know about the area, uh, you know, know what they're likely to encounter. These are experts. And uh, that's part of the whole Lovecraft thing. You get these these people and it's like you, know, you can be as prepared as you want to be and stuff can still happen to you. <laughs> Things can still go wrong. And, and that's what these people are are now facing they're they're all of them are in over their heads uh, despite the considerable expertise that these two bring to the table mm, exactly each character kind of represents one particular duty or job right which is what i find um kind of intriguing yeah. going there because there are a lot of characters here mm-hmm, for sure yes, and they all have their parts to play exactly yep. exactly Absolutely. how are the stories bringing the core of lovecraft's horror into the modern era well, they do a bunch of things. Lovecraft had his attitudes. He was a bit of a racist and misogynist. And, and these stories take a lot of, of that uh, the coarseness out. Uh, they have very modern sensibilities that they're bringing to the story. So colonialism, colonialism is not a good thing. You know, people think characters reflect on it and, and you know, discover that it, it has, their, their hum- hubris has led them to, you know, uh, you know, in places where it shouldn't. Uh, racism is depicted, but never, ever condoned. You pay if you're a racist. You will suffer for that kind of thinking. Uh, other people are, uh, from other races, are, are just almost... I've never found an instance in these stories where they've been portrayed with anything other than competence and skill and just, mm. you know, they know what they're doing. You know, they, they have capability. They, they deserve to be where they are. Uh, you know, they're smart people, you know. And women as well. Women are, you know, they're competent. They're experts. There's no damsel in distress. Maud Bryan is missing, but she is an expert director. They're always expert in something. Uh, you know, she knows what she's doing with film. She wants to do this documentary. Uh, you know, she's got the skills to do what she's doing. Uh, she just happens to be missing. Uh, you know, and same with with uh, Ursula. Uh, very again, very competent woman there, and even Iris again. She's an anthropologist. She's a scientist. Right. She knows what she's to get a lot of women there mm-hmm. in, you know, very knowledgeable and very, you know, appropriate skills to what they they're trying to uh, unravel. Yeah, I love that. I love the fact because you don't need it to be over the top with a male, female, uh, older, younger, able or a, non able. You know, if you have a disability, everybody should be depicted as as capable in their own way as well as flawed. Yeah, and it also increases the tension because, of course, if you are this prepared and in you know, the Lovecraft's basic premises, you, it is you don't. It, it doesn't matter how prepared right. you think you are; you are no match for what awaits you. Right, and this it heightens the kind of horror doing it this way. You don't have incompetence or anything as an excuse. You are as yep. fully prepared as you can be, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't for walk sure. away from a Lovecraft mm. story. Uh, happily <laughs> yeah well michael we um want to have a we have a bit of a sound up let's take a listen to a little bit of this and then we've got a couple of more questions as we get tight on time galton seemed unfazed iris strode past him in the rain she wanted his walking staff a weapon to protect herself from an ambush but she was too late leaves exploded into the air the smell of torn vegetation torn earth green wet 
A windy rush of movement. The thing grabbed her adroitly around her middle. It didn't thrash her around or tear at her, didn't break her neck like a big cat would. No, it spun her, round and round. It didn't really feel like an animal attacking her. It was more like she'd fallen into a thoughtless machinery that crushed, bound, and blinded. Vised at her torso, her legs were tied close together, and her arms were pinned to her sides. A gauzy, suffocating mask quickly encased her head. She had no space. In a flash, she could barely breathe. She creeps. She creeps. I love that sound and the <laughs> description, Michael, so quickly. Absolutely. What did you think of the pacing, the acting, and the sound and music? <laughs> Yeah, they, the pacing is a bit slow. Don't go into this is expecting Indiana Jones. This is a book <laughs> that is brought to life. So it's eight and a half hours. It's a slower pace character. It's psychological horror. Okay, so go in with that understanding and you'll be fine. Uh, you know, it, it's, it builds existential dread. Uh, so this is not about the jump scare. You know, there are moments of action, but there is, it's more about the characters and, what their, and their journeys and their mental journeys, especially. So, mm -hmm. yeah, the sound music is great. Uh, acting was superb. They did a, a great job with that. Uh, pretty much all of them hit their marks. Uh, the actors did. Uh, Jan uh, uh, Virtuo did uh, Andy really, really well. You really followed his journey nicely. Uh, Holly Adams did Iris, I thought, particularly well. Uh, so they, they have really top-notch actors. And, of course, the, the staple of actors, graphic audio, a lot of roles were played by their main cast people that are in a lot of their productions and they all did excellently including the guy who played the villain alton reed there he was he was amazing uh well narrated sound and music were quite good the music now mike uh this is available on the graphic audio app yes oop i think Okay, we don't have Mike. We're going to have to wrap anyway. Uh, but you can find Cult of the Spider Queen and many more titles at the Graphic Audio website. And I don't think I'm lying when I say that there's a Graphic Audio app that you can download. I haven't explored it yet. But everything is uh, there for you, including this particular Lovecraft-inspired tale slash audio drama. And Mike will be back next week. It'll be post-Halloween, so we'll see what he has for us then. But in the meantime, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with What in the World. Grant Hardy has some uh, stories he wants to flip through with us, including one about Atlanta. A company accidentally demolished the wrong home. How do you come back from that? We'll find out after the break. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Talking audio entertainment with Mike Fair is always a good time. He's a huge fan of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and H.P. Lovecraft-inspired stories. And there's always this theme of, you know, psychological thriller as part of uh, horror and, you know, other thrillers when he brings it in. He's got major fascination for these. And you got that running theme with podcasts and audio entertainment and TV shows, etc., books book recommendations, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it is fascinating to hear him break it down, Kells, and then to think, like, what part of this is interesting to me? Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny you say that, because that's just where I was going to go. For me, a lot of these things are pace, timing, 
sound. Of course, yeah. the acting is, is what you expect to be there. But any little Production. details on sound, I want to be able to rewind and say, how the heck? Or I like sitting there, if I have headsets on, saying, what the heck? Where was that? What, was that in there? Just the subtleties, mm. the little detail. You know, even if it's a conversation, two people talking, and you hear a siren faintly or you hear a plane anything that makes me really feel like this was live recorded yeah. and on on location or whatever oh yeah that that's always beautiful and then when you get a scene like the one we played some of those great sounds that really help bring it along that make you quiver as you're listening so yeah because the last really thing cool. you want is disbelief right the last thing you want right. with any kind of fantasy or even an adaptation of a book is to think eh, this doesn't really fit the medium no. or it doesn't really doesn't fit what right. they're trying to do exactly yeah. yeah, yeah, and it really was amazing, especially when you look back at times in, in, you know, let's say the 70s and going into the 80s. CBC was amazing here mm -hmm. in Canada, what they did with sound. You know, other networks around the world were not quite caught up, but you, the difference was night and day, and that's what we're getting now regularly, whether it's podcast design shows like this with sound or the specifics that you're buying from, you know, graphic audio or whomever. Right, and I Time appreciate too, sorry, real quick, I appreciate too just how things are adapted for modern times because you sit, think of something oh. like H.P. Lovecraft and you're like, how, uh, you know, are people going to sit with this? this content? Exactly, mm -hmm. but it's not yep. subtle. It's very well known and, uh, you know, that that's some of the stuff that Michael Fair brings to us every week all on the program. Week, all the time on the show and uh, I think he's had a great old time getting us ready for Halloween. Yep. Speaking of getting ready, folks, for whatever comes our way, we know it. It's what in the world. Let's bring on Grant Hardy. Do you want to know about the craziest stories news has to offer? Look no further than What in the World with myself, Grant Hardy, where I explore the most preposterous, comical, and mind-boggling stories from all across the globe. Nice to have you back, Mr. Hardy. Hope things out west are good. We know you got a pocket full of all sorts of good because we're going to stop and say, what in the world? Probably a couple of times in this segment. Welcome yeah. back. And I teased, just to, to go back to this, I teased a, a story that we're not going to cover because you already covered it, Kells, when I wasn't here. But I'm still yeah. reeling from that just over the break, you catching me up on that story of uh, the wrong house being demolished. <gasps> oh. Yeah, I couldn't imagine that, eh, Grant? Wow. Do you know what? I kind of... I kind of dig, I don't dig the company, but I kind of dig how snarky they are. Like what the, the neighbor, you know, coming over and like, you're demolishing the wrong house. They're like, mind your, mind own your business. business. Oh, I mean, God. at that point, God. at that point, like, you know what? There's nothing I can do to fix this. I'm here to demolish oh. a house. I've started demolishing the house. You need to just let me do my work Back off. right yeah oh <laughs> gosh and besides my company's got i'm i'm insured here i'm just gonna yeah. leave it be i just do what the bosses say mm -mm. and boy i hate my boss it'll be great when he's fired for this <laughs> oh. oh there you go <laughs> <laughs> Ah, all right. Matter of fact, I'll dig a hole where this house was just to make sure I do the job complete. Oh, <laughs> Why not, right? Okay, let's see if we can dig something else up in the what in the world vault here. Uh, how about this one? Uh, turns out there was a theft of more than two million dimes earlier this year from a tractor trailer that had picked up the coins uh, from the U.S. Mint in Philadelphia. The driver apparently was bound for Miami when he pulled into a parking lot to have a little sleep. And during the night, thieves made off with a portion of its cargo, which totaled more than $750,000 in dimes, 
which just to give you some perspective, weighed about six tons. Uh, the theft apparently was part of a bizarre spree of robberies from tractor trailers passing through the region that also included very odd items like frozen crab legs, shrimp, meat, beer, and liquor. Uh, Unfortunately for the thieves, they weren't really very good at covering their tracks. Apparently, they left a bunch of dimes all over the ground and immediately <laughs> went to the bank to convert their dimes into usable money. They now face conspiracy, robbery, theft of government money and, you know, various other charges. Wow. They would have been left just leaving well enough alone with the shrimp, the crab, and the alcohol. Like, good grief. I mean, that sounds like a robbery like or orchestrated by Bill Shackleton and I. Sounds delicious. We know what yeah, Billy maybe. would settle with. Yeah, feast. we know what Billy would be settled with. I'd be having a ball with all that crab. Ooh, ooh. Love all that. But the dimes, Grant, do we know if they knew what they were doing or just did they just break into this truck? Oh, well, it's dimes. Well, I guess because they sound prepared. If you're taking six, t uh, how much was it? Six tons of dimes. Yeah. Is that right? Six? Yeah. Well, uh, if, yeah. if you're taking that much, you got to be prepared. Well, I would assume yes, because of the fact that some of the dimes ended up on the ground. Uh, but yeah, you got, they're not very good thieves. You want to, you know, cool it a bit. You know, don't immediately go to the bank where you can kind of be traced and convert that into. Yeah. Money. I feel like when I was, I think about three year, three years old. Only time I think I ever stole something, and I put a tape in the tape case in my shirt or something like that that I wanted, and people immediately were like, "Ah, uh, why do you have a tape case in your shirt?" So that's when I realized, okay, I'm not a very good. Thief, I'm a terrible either. shoplifter. Bent over to tie his shoe, and out comes the case. <laughs> onto the ground but uh, this guy must have slept well but then again having the truck on and everything like that and him probably off with the sand you know but, but the sands of morpheus i guess all those dropping dimes on the ground and the organization and the loud sound of chiching probably didn't wake him up <laughs> just a classic yeah. examples of you've gone too far you know yeah. you had your feast you stick with that well you to go for the dimes little... and ruin everything well everybody like... needs a little <laughs> change in their life mm. <laughs> okay. i like to have faith in humankind i think he was like okay i'm gonna steal a bunch of money but i'm gonna leave some on the ground you right. know, for yeah. people, other people for who other people it. who might need it i'm not gonna me. take all yeah. of it yeah that's so generous <laughs> after all what else there you have for us sir uh this is kind of an interesting one new one new zealand town says it has had enough of celine dion after car drivers have joined a craze of blasting <laughs> out her ballads at 2 a.m what a hater uh, Sorry, carry on. <laughs> yeah, apparently the residents have actually launched a petition to bring on the uh, to bring an end to the noise. But the participants of the so-called siren battles say they are a way to express themselves. So the battles involve groups of people gathering in an area with their cars and then blasting music from sirens which are typically used for emergency warnings uh -huh. and the idea oh my gosh <laughs> the idea is to be the one to play music the loudest and the clearest so apparently they've selected celine dion's music aside from the fact that it's very famous and good uh, but it's also very high and has very little bass which makes it 
easier to play on the sirens. And one of the mm-hmm. organizers has said, there are worse things to do. We're not going to the bar and getting into a fight. We're just expressing ourselves musically. Unfortunately, residents don't seem to agree with one person saying that sleep is a fundamental human right and we need to (laughs) shut this down (laughs) what a way to use the sirens i hope celine dion hears from this uh, of this and she sings a song in in siren form like you know like that was (laughs) that would be great oh wow i can't believe they called it noise yeah celine dion is noise come on that's so rude very disrespectful (laughs) i think they're picking on canadians again yeah exactly Exactly. And also, uh, um, unless we're talking particularly about the Titanic theme song, then no, bring yeah. on Celine Dion. Yeah. And, and if they get too out of line, let's sick, uh, let's sick Shania Twain on them. Yeah. Thank we'll you. We'll give them the Canadian, the Canadian kickdown. Truly. Or, uh, People don't know who they're messing with here. Or, or, Ch- or Chad, Chad Kruger. We'll get him, you know, we'll get Nickelback all over it. <laughs> Just a little probably too much bass there. Yeah. I would, <laughs> oh, yeah. I would, I would dig. Nickelback. This is one situation where I'm like, I I would have always said, you know, to a young adult, like there are better things to do than going to a bar, or whatever. Maybe actually this is a case where it would be better to go to the bar. Yeah. yeah well, so. you and I, you and I know they're standing out there playing their music and sipping a couple of cold ones or lukewarm, depending on how hot the night is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I don't know if we have time for one yep. more here, but uh, now. So it turns out Tesla has received various requests and inform- for information, uh, subpoenas from the U.S. Department of Justice related to potential uh, personal benefits violations uh, and a range of other things about their business. Uh, the Wall Street Journal reported that federal prosecutors are investigating perks provided to their CEO uh, going back as far as 2017, including a project described as a glass house for Musk. Uh, Earlier, uh, apparently people are also investigating complaints from customers about their vehicle ranges not being as advertised. And there are also some investigations going uh, related to other aspects of their business as well, including their car's self-driving capabilities. The reason that this is in what in the world is because Tesla has a pretty bizarre complaint about these allegations. They are concerned that it will have, quote, a material impact on their business (laughs) and therefore (laughs) are hoping that these don't proceed. So basically, they're almost... Are they almost admitting guilt here? I don't know. But they're basically saying we're annoyed about this because if we did wrong, it could affect our business. (laughs) You pursue these. It doesn't matter the people that are climbing into their back seat thinking the car is fully automated. Oh, Yeah, I can take a nap now while this is going down the highway. Just kidding. Yeah. Not quite. Not not yet. Mm -mm. Yeah, I don't know. Apparently people say there is some sort of automated mode that people are somehow enabling but of course it's very it's just not quite there yet like they say oh okay okay yeah like they say it's it's level one there's seven levels before something's classed as fully 100 automated and Mm. those are the steps we're working towards years from now but if for some reason it's (laughs) like if something's going to take the hit it's going to be tesla right like that's what it feels like because of reputation that's right 
essentially I'm going to use this as a new life tip. Like if I ever make, you know, willfully, whatever, make some kind of mistake, I'm just going to like, I would like us not to pursue this just because I'm afraid of the impact it might have on me. It might make me look incompetent or worse, (laughs) wrong. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thanks, Grant. Always a pleasure. Always enjoy (laughs) Grant coming on. And covering up what in the world <laughs> with us as he does every two weeks on the program. Oh, uh, can you imagine the uh, the gaslighting around this? Anyways, oh, yeah. we're, <laughs> we're gonna come back. Poor Elon Musk. He's such a misunderstood person. I know. Oh, he has so much uh, to deal with. Anyway, we're very sarcastic on the show today. We're gonna take a break, come back with uh Bill Shackleton for the buzz with Bill. Can the new film Uncharitable change people's minds about overhead and nonprofits? Cool. We'll find out more about Bill's opinions on this after the break. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Thanks for sticking around. You're listening to the show live, hopefully, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Just for a little longer, we can say that and put it all uh, in together because starting, what is it called? Monday? Monday. Yeah, Monday. Monday. The AMI-audio version of Kelly and Ramya will not be live. There is no such thing. We will be joining you at 4 p.m. Eastern time on the schedule, and that's the uh, original airing of the show, if you will. And then we have two repeats following that at 10 p.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. Things are not changing on AMI-tv, so you got that available 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern live and 10 p.m., 1 a.m. Eastern time for repeat. So just putting that in your head, we're always, always available on podcast for you, though. I'm Ramia Amuddin with Kelly McDonald here on Kelly and Ramia, and it's time for us to get into the buzz with Bill Shackleton. Billy brings us stories, and it's going to feel strange, Billy, because you're not here with me in person today as you were yesterday. How does it? How are you feeling? Oh, okay. I mean, it's it's. Like I'll be here normal. again. Don't worry. I'll be here. Thank um, you. At least once a month, know, maybe. Maybe. Hopefully. Yeah, exactly. All I right, think you should do that more than once a month. Well, then okay, it starts coming in. Christmas. So everybody starts swearing it. Why do I have to shut all that up for that? Bill, oh, stay it's home. so worth it. Oh, and you know what? I left the braille on the desk. Did you? Oh, yeah. that's oh, an old familiar sakes. Yeah. yeah. Remember when you did that and it got the morning show really annoyed in the old studio? Yeah. On, there was a on, bit on, of a feud. On, there oh, really was. was. You guys leave it messy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said Oh, yeah. You guys can't read the nasty braille notes that uh, <laughs> Billy's writing about everyone. I had to start recycling on behalf of Bill. That was fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like this unspoken thing that was happening. Bill would leave his braille, I would recycle it, morning show people would be happy. And I would tell everybody that he was writing things about all of us, and it's yeah. unfortunate that only a couple of us could read braille. <laughs> Anyways, right. yeah, learn, won't you? <laughs> um, Billy, where do you want to start? Oh, can a new film, Uncharitable, change people's perceptions about overhead and nonprofits? So basically, the the article is basically saying we need to change the way we look at charities. So the nonprofit Hearts and Hands, which is a Massachusetts-based charity, and they, they are relief fund, disaster funds. So they, they raise funds for disasters. They, are, they basically have said that, quote, we need to, we're pressured to operate more leanly. And it, basically what it, 
what it's saying is that if you operate too leanly, they're afraid you're not going to get qualified staff. And, you know, it, a lot of people are skeptical about charities anyway. So, you know, they are, they're worried about, you know, where the money, where does the money go and mm. how much of money, how much of the money goes to uh, maintain websites and pay staff as opposed to doing what the charity is supposed to do. Right. Um, a new film though is going to hopefully change people's perceptions of this. Um, Steve Trout is the um, producer. Um, Dan Pallada, it's based on an, uh, um, a true story about Dan Pallada who had a charity and he was, he is a very, a, Power, strong advocate for charities to raise money for like using bike rides and uh, marathons and, and walkathons and things. Well, he started a company and basically what happened was he was sued for skimming the books for taking too much of the money. And the company was, you know, the company went under and the, you know, the, the film like the philanthropic people that the, the big donors that have spoken in this movie are saying, well, they're part people have a right to be skeptical, but then you've got to remember these big philanthropic people have millions and millions of dollars to throw around. Mm -hmm. And so see, even that, as you yeah. say it, we can hear the biases we have against, right? That's like, right. you know, we're thinking of not-for-profits profits as an entity that should be so, what's the word even? Like, Prudent, careful. Yeah, careful. And yeah. also, you know, um, selfless and all these other things where, uh, you know, minimize the costs that it takes yeah. to run, minimize the salaries, yep. minimize how much people are going to get paid because we're thinking of it as an all volunteer run. And even if you have to pay staff, like staff should understand that it's not for profit. It's not going to be, you're not going to be on the sunshine list, that kind of thing. Um, and so we have these biases against charitable organizations but i think what it really stems from is transparency the the oftentimes the way that we react when we find out that so and so has been making this much money or so and so like the money that we thought was going into this that or the other is actually being used to dot 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 when we hear these things we get angry and frustrated because we as the the person donating think that the money is going towards a particular thing that it's not we've been sold that it's been going towards this, that, this disaster, that volunteer, this box of food, whatever it is, but it's actually not. And when we find that right. out, we get pissed. Yeah. I, I also think, yeah. go ahead, Bill. Um, charities. So you, what, what the film is saying it, we charities need the money. I mean, obviously, regardless of what you think they they're doing, they need the money in order to do what they're supposed to do. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, regardless of what you, how you feel about where the money goes, they do need the money. Yep. Well, I think people forget that you also need that qualified person to do the job you want yes, them to do. That's correct. On top of that, you're asking for that person because you've got to be prudent with your money. You're asking that person to probably do far more than someone working at a business, a commercial business, doing the same job is having to do because there's a lot of protections, you hope, with an HR department and laws that say, well, you can't force this person to do this, that. But when it comes to charities, 
they have to rely on that person who can lead maybe mm -hmm. volunteers to help along. Then you have to take care of your volunteers without overusing them, insulting them, rewarding them how? Because they're volunteers, but you want them to feel very appreciated because they are your lifeblood. You do value them, but you've got a service. You've got a reason for being there. As he says, Bill, you need the money to be able to do what your what your goals are. And I, I don't just yes. mean showing up. I mean, get that food there or mm, have the operations. bodies to help you. Exactly. And it, it's hard because we get dissatisfied if, well, look at the money they're bringing in, even if they're achieving goal. Or we say, well, somebody should be supporting this organization more. Look what kind of charitable work they're doing. They shouldn't ask volunteers, that many volunteers to do that. These folks running these not, these not-for-profits or charities, in all honesty, if you listen to the general public, they can't win. You know, they are either making too much money. Yeah. Where is it going? As you said, Rum, there has to be transparency for sure. That's number but one then for again, me. Yeah. yeah, and and I've, I've said that about organizations that if these people would just disclose a little more, exactly. we would probably ask less or questions tell us exactly or be where less money's suspicious. Going. Tell us yeah. exactly Show where the dollar people. is going. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we I get think... that somebody's being paid to do a job, right. but, you know, and again, do we have the right to know, oh, how much do they make because yes. I'm donating? You know, there's there's so many things to consider here. We would probably be less resistant, I'm taking we as the general public, would be less mm -hmm. resistant to giving our money into charities and also understanding that some of this money is going towards a person's salary, their expertise, their professionalism, their uh, capacity to run the organization, whatever it is. I'd be less resistant if you just told me that, right? Told me where the money's going. And number two is that gap between who's getting paid and who's volunteering and why is there a difference? And I think yeah. that's another huge thing that we we struggle with. It's a challenge to well, understand why are so many millions of people volunteering for this organization, and yet you know the the uh, op, uh, certain parts of the operational team need to get paid. I think that's well, part and, of the transparency, and, obviously, and, but a very particular thing. And not not to throw shade on anybody, please, ladies and gentlemen, when I say this, but the reality is, you could have a hundred volunteers. How many are effective with what you're doing? You can have 12 on your board. How many are are really the right person, mm. but also having the right means, willingness, the time to devote? You know, uh, unfortunately, you do have to have that awareness that some people are on boards for the reputation of being on it yep. or other reasons other than And it the comes committee. from the distrust already. Yeah, and you're mm. not going to sit there and call them out when you're also looking. You don't want someone saying, well, yeah, I'd like to be on your board, but I heard that you said that Ramya did nothing. You know, I, probably, tell, you know, I probably did nothing, yeah. Well, probably, but I mean, <laughs> the fact is, you know, if there's five Rumias doing nothing, it, it's hard to achieve yeah. something, yeah. and you have to ask, is why am I here? Well, I'm here for the prestige. It looks good on my resume. Yeah. Well, that's nice. You know, resume for the next board you sit on and do nothing. Right. It, it, these are some of the things, that, as, as an outsider looking at any chair, we don't know. And our, I don't think we, I mean, you got to be transparent, but they're, they're not going to throw, hey, our volunteers are all right. Well, half of them are. You're not because you're so appreciative for what you get from any of the people that help. And if they're trained right, if they're willing, if you put them in the the, the, the position to succeed mm -hmm. and be comfortable, they are absolutely vital. Yeah. Um, just a, a, another interesting issue that I want to bring up about charities is that the film is targeting smaller, like, uh, you know, when you donate to charity, they're, they're trying to get the, the, a lot of the smaller donations so people that are kicking in a hundred two three hundred right. five hundred you know if you have the philanthropic donator um who donates a three or four million dollars and they don't like what you do 
your charity mm. sunk. So basically yeah. the film is trying to approach, uh, reach people that are like me who may donate 50 bucks. Well, and how so you service you those people, right, yeah, Bill? Like, like Billy, right. your money is just as good as Mr. Two Million walking around. Yeah, it is. It is. And you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You know what I mean? No. So, mm. no. Right. Billy, we're going to cut this off here. Uh, what else do you want to cover? One more. Well, we can do this one. What do you do with uh, e-cigarette cartridges? So communities are having a problem disposing them. Um, so... They are, because they're batteries, they are hazardous. Their metals that they're made of are hazardous. Um, so basically, the, the, you are, if you're a community, the debate was, well, the, it was a vaping debate. You know, do or do debate or, or do vape or not. Do vape or don't. Now, yeah. Yeah. Yes. To yeah. vape or not to vape. That's right. Now, it's how do you dispose of them? Right. So in, in, um, in New York, they have actually... They're put, they have taken thousands, hundreds of thousands of these cartridges that they banned from stores, and it costs them 85 cents to dispose of each one. Because they can't so just go in the trash. Be. Yeah, no. they can't go in the trash because they're wow. battery operated. So mm -hmm. what do you do? So I just don't understand why we get to this point. Like it's I, well, so retro, it's so reactive, right? Like, oh my gosh, we've been doing this for years, and and now let's bring up the conversation around well, what to do with these non-recyclable. And we mentioned this the other day about batteries, can. right? About right. batteries yeah. being an issue. Period. The, the right. D batteries and so on that we oh we've gotten rid and, of all that now, right? Exactly, and we're not talking about things that were you know that are so long ago that we're just starting to realize how dangerous they are. Like we're talking e-cigarettes in the last decade. Yeah, that's right. So. What what the the federal government is going to be pressured into making them um, reusable, which might be a, a, a start like a like a battery reusable, and maybe making them out of metals that are less toxic. So we're probably going to be hearing more about this, you know, as 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 we go on. We're going to be hearing about this because this is becoming a real issue. Yeah, nobody wants to. Everyone's passing the buck, as usual. Yeah, well, right? as usual, as yeah. usual. Yeah, there's only one place to get rid of these things, and then business owners are spending uh, almost as much taking the the stuff away uh, as yep. they yeah. are selling it. So, yeah, you know, and right. until it becomes a complete business argument, like an argument for how to how to make this a better business, we're probably not going to hear anything else about it. Five cents. Yeah, yeah, oh, ridiculous, like, uh, right? Yeah. Wow. Uh, Billy, last segment, we were talking about the fact there was a robbery of dimes, uh, but also there'd been other robberies such as crab, shrimp, alcohol and stuff. So I said, that sounds like it was something done by you and I. I'd take the crab, the uh, shrimp and, and, and that while you take the alcohol. And both of us would leave a trail of dimes uh, scattered around that we couldn't carry with us. I definitely take the alcohol and the dimes. I can tell. I can tell you. Do I know Shaq? Yeah, no, it's true. No challenging here. Thanks, Billy. Talk to you tomorrow. Talk tomorrow. Bill Shackleton on the buzz. That's to wrap up the first hour. In the second hour of Kelly and Remia, we have the round table with Margaret Weldon. We also are going to learn about the Mossam Creek Hatchery and Education Center. And that's going to be an interesting conversation with the president. Also, up next, Mary Mamalidi is telling us about 10 surprising kitchen items that we can toss into the dishwasher. Can't wait to hear about that. I don't have a dishwasher, though, so maybe she'll donate one. We'll be right back. Uh, well, Weldon would take the dimes, too. You know that. Yeah, okay. <laughs>
Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome back. We're kicking off hour two of Kelly and Romeo over here. And uh, because it's a Thursday, we got our Thursday staples coming up, but we're also squeezing in a conversation, um, a, a feature, so we can learn more about some of the incredible educational endeavors going on around the country. Uh, speaking of educational endeavors, I can't wait for this conversation. Let's bring on Mary Mamaliti of Kitchen Confession. If you're like me, the kitchen is your favorite room in the house. I'm Mary Mamaliti, here with a handful of goodies from my kitchen, including food trends, cooking tips, and of course, some delicious recipes. Mary, I've been telling people that you're going to share 10 surprising kitchen items that you can clean and toss into the uh, dishwasher. Now, I've been saying toss into because that's the way that I think of people with dishwashers. You know, you just toss it in and don't have to worry Clean about it. Clean the broken glass later. <laughs> you don't have to worry about all the cleaning and actual washing of things like I do because I don't have a dishwasher. But you know what I mean, right? Gently place in your dishwasher mm. for it well, to do its I thing. I didn't have a dishwasher until I moved into this current home. So for the most part of my life, I did not have a dish. My dishwasher were my hands. Yep. Um, right. So we as soon as I got the dish, right, as soon as I got the dishwasher, I'm like, what can I do with this thing? Yeah. <laughs> and then now you're here. You're not gatekeeping. You're here to tell us what we can throw into our dishwashers. And besides I, the I, obvious. I, yes, Kels? I, I find this fascinating, Mary, because it's a huge thing where people, you know, as you buy something, dishwasher mm -hmm. friendly, right? Like, mm -hmm. you're this good. And there's so many things that I, I hear about, oh, I bet you can't throw that in a dishwasher. Oh, I, and I've thought about this all my life because, of you know, you get your fears of what you can wash, how to wash clothing, how to yeah. wash the, read the label, and you think the same of dishwashing material. So mm -hmm. it's easier to just wash it with your hands, right? But what brought this to you to say, yeah, I'm going to do this? Is it just because Mary, too, was saying the same thing? Or is it what people have brought to your door about it? So it's a bit of both. It's what people have brought to my door. So a lot of questions around it. But... Honestly, for the most part, it's because if I'm going to spend that money, that amount of money mm. on an appliance, I needed right. to do multiple, a multitude of things. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to do that. So to me, I just started thinking about the high temperatures in the dishwasher and what else can we do with this? And, yeah. and how can it be useful to sanitize and to clean other items within our household, our kitchen, uh, and for us? Might as well, right. right? It's kind of like you can treat mm -hmm. it like your laundry a bit yeah. if you start thinking of it this way but besides the obvious what are other things that we can clean in the dishwasher because i'm i'm thinking of you know just dishes and dishwasher safe or dishwasher friendly things but i also right. thought about like can we take apart our blender or <laughs> food processor yeah. or something like that yeah so well absolutely us. i mean everything everything so despite its name dishwashers they can clean more than just your dishes right and and your cutlery and we know this now because I'm actually going to share a lot of them with you today. But not only does it spare us that tedious time of washing by hand, um, which honestly, sometimes I do find it therapeutic, not going to lie. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I said sometimes, not always, <laughs> not, <laughs> not most of the time. Um, but it, you know, this is another way to use it and how to sanitize and, and, it really does change. It's a game changer in the world of household chores. So, and especially when it comes to sponges. So if you use sponges to clean your dishes, chances are they are in need of a deep clean. Now, you wouldn't think this, but it does. Because like damp sponges, they can be a breeding ground for bacteria. Mm. 
Right. So between washes, yeah, yeah. Between washes, you want to rinse your sponges out after each use and then wring them out well, store them somewhere where they can dry. You don't want to store them in the kitchen sink itself. You want them to air dry and dry off completely. So, and then each time you wash a load of dishes, place that kitchen sponge in the top rack of the dishwasher and then do that drying cycle on, let everything go. The appliance will do the work for you and it'll sanitize that. Next, this one was interesting for me because I wouldn't have thought of it. Glass light fixtures, because they, they also need a deep cleaning. So from time to time, if you take them down, pop them into the dishwasher if their glass is removable, if the glass covers can be removed. Put them into the dishwasher, normal cycle, they come out squeaky clean. So you don't really have to get in there, worry about it. Um, this one was one of my favorites because it's the baking silicone mats. So those silicone baking mats oh, that we so use that you put on those rim with. right? Yeah. Um, but well, I, yeah. I, I, they're so greasy. Yeah. yeah. They're so hard to clean, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're cleaning it by hand. Mm-hmm. So, and if you've got greasy or sticky foods on it, it could be a pain. If you drape that mat over the top row of prongs on the top rack of the dishwasher, run that normal cycle, they come out good as new. Hmm. Honestly, silicone? I've tried it. And then silicone and oven mitts. So oven mitts Same thing. and trivets, yeah. right? So all that all that stuff, anything that's silicone, um, place these items on the top rack of your dishwasher because it'll remove any food residue or any of that little pesky bacteria that might be hanging out on your oven mitts. Now, I didn't know that I could pop them into my dishwasher, the oven mitts themselves. The trivets I've done, right. but the oven mitts I had, and I tried did, it. Did you wonder fabulous. because of... Uh, did you wonder because of the heat or what made you stop it? Because well, it is so funny, right? Because it's not going to be any hotter than a, a you know laundry machine, but handles it in a totally different way because of the racks. Exactly. That that's what it is. It was it was more of in the laundry. I know it's going into the wash, into the dryer, um, in the dishwasher. I was just a little skeptic on how mm. dry will they become or how clean will yeah. they become because the oven mitts that I have are oven gloves. They're not mitts. Right. Um, right. because I need those extra fingery things, you know, my fingers to be covered. And this way I can use them a little better and right. grasp so the, 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 the silicone ones. But the silicone ones. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then refrigerator shelves and bins. This one I thought was really neat because you can, again, scrub them by hand. Um, but it can get a little tricky, but if you want, you can put them in the dishwasher. So smaller shelves. They'll fit standing up just like your plates do in the dishwasher. But the bigger shelves, you might need to lay them maybe across the rack. Lay them flat across the rack and then run your cycle. They'll work beautifully. Right. Microwave turntables. We all know what these can be like. Mm-hmm. So cleaning the microwave turntable in the sink can be a pain just because of the size. It depends. Um, luckily, most of them are dishwasher safe. So to get rid of any of the food splatter, any grime, put the dishwasher, put them in the dishwasher, um, just like you would any other plate, and then run that cycle. Have you ever cleaned your exhaust fan filters and your oh, covers? I was hoping you would add this. <laughs> like as we were going through the list, I was like, maybe this as well. All the greasiest oh. things in our kitchen. Oh, that is the <laughs> worst thing to touch, yeah. and it's just—it's like almost like you think, "Am I going to be able to remove my hands?" So from nasty. This? Can I just throw that whole? A compartment into the dishwasher yeah oh, absolutely. my hood my entire hood <laughs> so hood. the whole hood goes in <laughs> i need, a, I need an industrial sized dishwasher for right? the things that i'm going to be tossing in there 
Uh, ma'am, uh, you pulled this right off the wall and everything like that. Uh, yeah, I had to put Can my I... feet up on the on the stove and yank. <laughs> Can I bring my dishwasher to the hood? Okay, no. Yeah, that's right. It'll be, it'll be clean, and then how do we connect it now? All right. <laughs> uh, we hang out with Mike fair enough. It we'll get doesn't... ideas from some some yeah. fantasy book to turn the, the kitchen inside out and put the whole thing in right. the, the, the machine. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those items that we we tend to forget about or we don't check as often. Um, but they are they do need to be cleaned. And most exhaust fans have like either remo- removable and washable filters. So you can right. take that out, put them into the dishwasher, run your cycle. It's perfect for degreasing because that high temp heat cuts right through. Mm. Cutting boards. Now we know this. We know cutting boards can be cleaned anywhere, anyhow. But the best way to clean it is if you have um, a dishwasher because these cutting boards, especially if you're cutting meat, they can harbor any bacteria from meats, uh, anything. And if you don't wash them thoroughly. Um, so that dishwasher kind of helps in that matter because the temperatures and the detergent that's used in the dishwasher, it disinfects and it effectively disinfects and removes yes. any bacteria from those cutting boards. I yeah. do want that, to mention. That's where your little hands, Maricus, can't do the trick. Sorry, go ahead. You <laughs> want to mention? It's true. Especially my mine are freakishly strong and freakishly small, so they can't. Oh, I can man. get into like the little nooks and crannies, but I can't really get well, in. Well, and that's the thing. And I think we think the magic of your your dishwashing soap is going to take care of it, but unfortunately, like you said, the heat is so crucial. That's right, and it just it eliminates any of that bacteria that's lingering around. I wouldn't put my wood cutting boards into the dishwasher. Um, I do want to mention that because sometimes the moisture during that long washing cycle, it, it, it's not easy to dry and it can warp and splinter and then eventually maybe break the cutting board. Hmm. So that, yeah. So I wouldn't use Makes that sense. for any poultry or uh, any types of meat or anything. Mary, we have like two minutes. Rapid fire two some minutes. of these items. Oh, cabinet drawer and hardware. That is that is so cool because when I heard of it, I thought, no way. If you the you know the handles on your cabinets, if they are a little greasy, a little sticky, take them off your cabinet doors, pop them into the dishwasher, either into that utensil holder or in a mesh bag on the top rack. Oh yeah, perfect. Just run awesome. them through. But if they're hand painted, do not put them in because no. you don't want the paint okay. to come off. Mary. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, oh, yeah, exactly. Mary, what about the can opener? Mm-hmm. I yes, want to mention the can, can opener because that is just crazy. Can opener, they're intricate cutting mechanisms, right? It could be challenging to clean, especially by hand. So the dishwasher gets right in there. Again, those temperatures disinfects, gets eliminates any of those food particles that may be stuck in those um, in that mechanical area. Look, I'm already I'm mechanical area. One of those, whatever the terminology is, that's where they're going to get stuck. Um, the dishwasher does remove that and it cleans them beautifully and disinfects. Helps um, with operation. Mm-hmm. It just makes it hassle-free. Wow. Yeah. Mm. All the baby and, items, and, we know, pacifiers, yeah. teething rings. All of that, all of that, all toothbrush holders can go in, uh, switch plates of your outlet covers. Now, Kelly, you have you ever put your baseball cap in here? I don't wear baseball caps. Adorous? Not unless I, I, I've, no, no, I, I, I don't know. My head doesn't look great in them. Mm. Mary? I think we no, need but, to, I think we need to have Kelly in a baseball cap. Yeah, number oh, one. God, that's awful. And that then doesn't look pretty. <laughs> clean it with the uh, <laughs> dishwasher. Can't do, I can't do the fedoras, but you baseball caps you can do? You can, absolutely. You can get wow. caps, um, these cap clamps from Amazon, um, and they protect the shape of it. Pop them into your dishwasher on the top rack, 
run it through. It works up perfectly. And then just allow the hat to air dry after. Okay. It is new. That's amazing. What but a I feel list. like I wouldn't draw the line, though. I'd be like, okay, now socks can go in the dishwasher and <laughs> shoes. And oh, before you know it, we got to get a new Now dishwasher. I can sell this washing machine. <laughs> I don't need it anymore. <laughs> yeah, flip-flops. Those rubber oh, flip-flops okay. can go in. Uh, if footwear go is going in my dishwasher, then I, I, I don't. Oh, your boot I feel like mat, I need get rid of all the salt on it. You know, your boot mat. <laughs> See if it uh, messes up your machine. in the car mats. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Rumya, Rumya taking up the mat at the, win the winter mat that they put down at the front door of the building. Let's fix this up, too. We've gone past the point of actual advice, and now we're just like, don't, <laughs> don't do this. Uh, don't what do not any to of put that. in the dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> no. Mary, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Mary Mamaliti, you can go to Kitchen Confession. Dot com. There's more discussion up there. There's a lot of uh, blogging from Mary as well as recipes and everything else. And also, if you search for Kitchen Confession on your favorite podcast platform, you will find that podcast as well. Lots of entertaining stuff with Mary and all things in the kitchen. After the break, we are learning about the Mossum Creek um, Hatchery and Education Center with President Kevin Ryan and Project Manager for Accessibility Patrick Dennett. That's going to be a fun conversation. Stick around for that after the break here on Kelly and Ramia. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. This is Kelly and Ramya. We're here daily, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. And you can check us out on your favorite podcast platform as well by searching for Kelly and Ramya. We got everything up there for you, the whole show, as well as segments that you can share easily uh, because we like kind of giving you digestible content because it is a two-hour show we talk to various people contributors and guests and learn about all kinds of things so might as well make it easier on you kelly over to you Today we've got uh, some great guests coming up here Ron, mm -hmm. because we we uh, once a month get a chance to look at museum science centers and so many different places to walk through nature um, learn about our environment and and the world around us and it's it's so exciting to get that firsthand, hey, let's learn about it, but also what can we do at it and what's there for visitors? Uh, so let's get into our monthly Science Center segment. And today we're learning about an accessible hatchery, the Mossum Creek Hatchery and Education Center in Port Moody, BC, exists to conserve local salmon habitats and educate the public, that's us folks, on salmon conservation. Again, we get into how much we learn on this segment. President Kevin Ryan, and project manager for accessibility, Patrick Dennett, join us to talk a little bit about the place and we'll get a whole bunch of information. Guys, thank you very much for being with us on Kelly and Rumya today. Now, thank you for I having us. Well, I appreciate it very much, the time here. So I'm gonna start with Kevin. Um, Kevin, what is a hatchery and what public, what, what things can we come and visit and do there? Well, a hatchery is uh, it's, it's considered a, an enhancement facility. So um, salmon right now are uh, under threat from a variety of different reasons. Um, so there are a number of community hatcheries throughout BC um, that try and enhance the production of salmon. So we raise coho and chum and pink salmon, about 120, 130,000 fish every year and release them into various local creeks. 
Now, that, I'm curious when you say that, sorry, Rum, oh, I just ahead. wanted to get, when you talk about the endangerment, um, I hear a lot about salmon out that way, out, out in BC and, and that, and you say the releasing into the local creeks around that area. But would we look to this all around Canada as being something that we have to recognize how endangered, uh, or do we have certain pockets or areas that it, it's more of a issue? Um, not to take away from the issue, regardless where it is, of, of course, but I'm kind of curious how wide sweeping. Well, salmon is um, native to the BC coast, to the west coast of North America. So uh, I can't speak for the rest of Canada as far as salmon goes. I know the east coast have had their challenges as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Our oceans are getting fished out. Um, there's a lot of pollution. There's a lot of plastic problems. There's a lot of the salmon are faced with a number of different issues uh, throughout the world. Uh, so hatcheries are there to try and increase the populations and um, hopefully help out the, the amount of salmon that's available for not just for people, but for animals. And, you know, salmon are a keystone species. They, they basically provide food for everything from insects all the way up to people. And you're kind of bringing this education to the, the general public, to students, uh, people of all ages through the hatchery. So thank you for clarifying that intention. Um, but I'm curious about what, what would you qualify as activities uh, for people to take part in to kind of get the education out of this? Well, first of all, the, the focus, I mean, we are a hatchery, but our focus is on education. So mm -hmm. we have um, ed two educators that we have hired, um, and we bring in students from all over the Lower Mainland to learn about the environment, not just about hatcheries, but nature, uh, to learn about the forest, to learn about, I call it like peeling back the onion. Um, you look at a forest and you go, oh, that's nice, nice forest, nice trees. But when you get into the forest, and our educators are experts in this area, they can show you how everything is interrelated. Um, mm -hmm. everything depends on everything else. And when you affect one area, you impact other areas. Right. Um, something that I just learned a couple of years ago when I was at Mossum, um, they did a DNA test on trees in the BC coastal areas. And the DNA in trees actually has DNA salmon. So it goes to show you that, you know, wow. salmon are eaten by bears, for example, and they're taken into the forest and they decompose. And that DNA actually ends up in the trees. So it's that's unbelievable. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So when you have the, the students there, how do you put them into into work there, Kevin, the sense of the things they learn? Do they kind of just learn what you guys what everything that goes on? Is that the experience they're they're given? We we have, as I said, two educators and they're um we have to be very um selective when we hire people because a lot of teachers are comfortable with teaching a single age group. We have everything from pre-K, pre-kindergarten, all the way up to senior high school students and even beyond. So the two educators that we have um, offer a variety of different programs that we have on our website and we offer them to the public, to the schools. Um, and um, they have a couple of examples. We have one that's called uh, looking at insects. So they'll put bags uh, in, the, in the creek with leaves in them and all of the insects go into the leaves. So they take these bags out after a few days and the kids can actually look and see all of the variety of different invertebrates that are in our creeks. 
Um, and then we can offer something to more senior students like dissecting salmon because we have frozen salmon in our freezer downstairs. So um, we have a variety of different education programs and the teachers can basically pick whatever they like that matches their curriculum. Nice. Um, I'm Boy, curious like about, because this is educational, but done with a lot of uh, fun and the intention of making sure that, especially for students, like younger students, that the content is engaging. The activities um, give people just like a scope of what to to be present for, what part of these conversations to be present for. So. Let's talk about the accessibility. Um, we'll get into other things in a second, but Patrick, can you talk about the rebuilding of the hatchery with accessibility in mind? Yes, um, the hatchery that you see on your screen is a result of a, a rebuild in 2013 of the original hatchery that was lost in the fire. And at the time, we had no guidelines on what accessibility totally meant and um, so I introduced a number of common sense things but when I got into know Rick Hansen and, and found out more about his foundation I thought it'd be a great idea to to look at a goal of getting a building in Port Moody and actually the first actual hatchery in Canada to be gold certified under his program so I got into it with them and we had a meeting and they gave me a checklist of everything that had to be done. So you talk about education. For me, it was a huge education because when you think of accessibility, we seem to have a narrow focus and it is such a broad area. So mm. accessibility in our education now provides um, a means for people with hearing difficulty to uh, hear better through an audio system we introduced. Uh, people with wheelchair uh, needs, um, we now have automatic doors and access that gives them a feeling of being inclusive. We have signage around to direct people on where to go so they don't get lost. There's so many elements to this whole area that is really an eye-opener and um, um, and we continue to do more to try and make it more inclusive and accessible. And Kevin was talking about our education. You know, education is through, uh, it's a social thing as well. So this gets groups together in a social environment. Now we have an expanded part of the hatchery that includes people with special needs, uh, physical challenges. So the door has been made wide open to open up to the rest of the community that might have felt left out. So we're really proud of this. So that's where we are. And I hope, and does that answer some of your questions? Oh yeah, that's great. Um, I'm curious too, because we've talked a lot about the kids. We've talked about the accessibility guys. Can we talk a little bit about somebody coming in off the street? What kinds of things right now uh, will people hear, see, touch, and experience right now at the hatchery and uh, as we go into fall, heading into the winter, if people want to come visit? Well, this is actually a very good time. Um, within the next couple of weeks, we're going to be getting all of our eggs. So um, we have an open, <clears throat> excuse me, an open house every Sunday from 11 till 1 for the public. So the public can come up and they can uh, visit our 
downstairs um, hatchery and they can see the fish that we have. We've got 4,000 coho in our tubs. And then within the next few weeks, as I said, we'll have a whole bunch of eggs. So we'll have the chum eggs and we'll have a, about 90,000 pink eggs. Uh, and those eggs we have to take care of for several months um, as they incubate and grow into fish. Um, so there's lots for people to see. There's lots for people to do. Um, Rod and Ruth, who are the co-founders of the hatchery, they've been at this for over 50 years. Um, you want to talk about dedication. You know, my hat's off to those two individuals because um, <clears throat> they started it as teachers uh, in high school and they wanted, it's called experience, experiential education. Uh, so it's touching, feeling, experiencing, not necessarily being in the classroom. So uh, a lot of the programs that we offer are outdoors and um, not necessarily just sitting in a classroom. So there's lots of different things for people to come up and, and visit at the hatchery. Right. And do you think that the, I'm not sure if you would consider it urgency, I, I definitely see it that way from where I'm coming in, uh, but the urgency of the challenges and the stats and things that we're quickly realizing are, you know, irreversible impacts of the way that humans are impacting nature, specifically with this context of salmon. Um, do you think that that urgency or that angle of seriousness of the the complex uh, problem is being um, portrayed through this hatchery and through everything that's being done? Well, well the, I think the, the, you want to answer that, Kevin? Yeah, well, you know, the hatchery program is, and hatcheries sometimes have a uh, connotation that people don't like, but the hatcheries in our usage, they provide an environment for a survival rate of 98% mm. of the fish that uh, aren't subject to predators in their natural environment until they get released into the ocean. So right. hatcheries play a very, very important role to ensure um, a portion of the stocks, and we get a lot of wild salmon spawning in the creek, which is also very impressive. And you can see anytime you want to come up and view Mawson Creek around Ioka Road, you'll see chum and, and pink and coho in that creek, and it's just nature at work. But the hatchery provide a very important role to provide a uh, secure, safe environment for a small portion of these fish to be there for their release in the spring and um, get out and fight all the predators that they have to fight going out to the open ocean through Burrard Inlet. You don't mm -hmm. realize what they're up against. Well, and when you, when you add all the other things that you mentioned before, guys that, you know, the plastics, all the other things that break right mm. from the start, if they were out in nature, right off the bat that pose that danger it makes sense to at least give them that head start is that the safest and the best way to put it uh kevin yeah yeah that would that that's that's about right i mean and it, it's a good point that you made about uh you know the impact people have on nature um the more i i volunteer in this area the more i realize how uh, our footprint uh, on this planet is so significant and mm -hmm. um, we need to be more careful with everything that we do. Great example about finding, you know, the, the sign of salmon in the trees because we don't think about one mm. little thing comes to something else, affects something else. 
Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, both of you, Kevin, Patrick, for spending time with us. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you. That was President Kevin Ryan and Project Manager for Accessibility, Patrick Dennett, discussing the Mossum Creek Hatchery with us, an education center that is, Mossum Creek Hatchery and Education Center. Check it out, please, folks. Uh, it really sounds like a wonderful visit and a lot to learn. We're going to take a break and come back with our usual roundtable this time of day on Thursdays. And our guest today is Margaret Weldon. She's our former In the Know contributor and a good friend of the show. We'll be back with that to find out what Kelly's got lined up on the roundtable. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Welcome back to Kelly and Rumia on a Thursday afternoon. And we are here with you until 4 p.m. Eastern time. We'll give you some things to think about throughout the, whatever, half hour we have left. Still lots of conversation, lots of opinions, especially about to come out now, Kels. Mm, I'm going to have some fun here, folks. It's the roundtable. Enjoy it every week because the contestants. No, that's the wrong word. Oh, the participants. Geez. No, that's the wrong. Anyway, Rumia and our guest get to discuss with me some things on the table. So let's put them on. Let's welcome in our roundtable discussion. Isn't it convenient that we have a roundtable? Well, it's actually oval. Just say yeah. it. The blind guy feels it now goes, <laughs> well, I, don't know, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. Today's guest joining us on the roundtable is friend of the show, our former contributor on the program, Margaret Weldon. Welcome back, Mags. Nice to have you with us. It's great to be here. I was quite excited when I was asked to join you. I'll appreciate asked your time. To, not coerced. Just making sure. <laughs> no, I, I, not... I was I was asked, and I told Kelly I would be delighted. That's okay. what I told her. Hope you have it's a paper trail. Never coerced. Never. <laughs> no. Because I pay too much money. Ah. Be right. Beg, beg sure, maybe. Sure. Be be beg yeah. maybe, but, but never Always force. saying, listen, listen, <laughs> I got to find somebody. Can you come on? Come on. I wouldn't normally bother you to do this, right, but right. I'm bothering you. Uh, guys, here we start with uh, a surprise cancellation of a popular talk show. We get the details from reporter Jason Nathanson. My name is John Stewart. There's a problem at the problem with John Stewart, the show ending after two seasons on Apple TV+. The New York Times says there was an issue over some of the topics Stewart wanted to cover, including China and AI. Taping for season three was due to begin soon. The series was nominated for five Emmys during its run. So while Stewart had creative control over the show, he reportedly told staff that he was frustrated with Apple pushing back on uh, topics and guests. So the other day we were talking about Britney Spears. It led us to the conversation of how much creative control Britney had over videos over time. And I think about this a lot because, you know, people think when you're doing a show, whether it's one like this or whatever, how much creative control do you get? Whether it comes to guests, whether it comes to... Anything you see on the screen or hear on the show, the sound, the microphones, anything. How much creative control do you feel one has? Margaret, in your opinion, especially as you've gotten and taken a, a broadcast training course and stuff like that, can you share in your, uh, again, experience in what you watched on TV and learned about behind the scenes and stuff like that? What kind of control do you perceive or do you think you perceive now versus 10 years ago um, that that somebody like a John Stewart would have. Well, you know, it, it used to be that a lot of people would say things like um, there's freedom of speech. And I think the one thing that I always 
uh, was fascinated with, I guess, is when I took the broadcasting course, and I guess you guys took something along the same lines, you know, you were always told, don't show the guests the questions you're going to ask ahead of time, or don't tell them the topics you're going to talk about ahead of time, right? That used to be the rule of thumb. But I can remember even within the last two years of doing In the Note, and I had guests on, they would not come on Unless until I showed them, them questions mm. and the wording they were going to use. And if they didn't like the mm. wording, goodbye. And, right. and, and, and so I, I don't know. I don't know how much how much that affects other shows. I don't know if it's because they're trying to follow their own guidelines or their own opinions. But uh, that's basically what I myself have noticed. Did you feel it was particular to the topics because, and again, you had an array of guests on on for sure, Margaret, that you would bring around. Um, I mean, I think politicians, we can kind of understand no one, they're, they're, they don't want to be ambushed or, by something. But there are different types of people who just feel nervous. I'd like to know. I'd like to be prepared. I don't want to make a fool of myself. Where do you feel, feel it leaned more towards? A lot of it was, yes, number one, uh, I personally would like to be prepared. Number two. I really need to run this by my manager, supervisor, uh, boss, what have you, right? And then I, I I don't know, you know, we need to also make sure that the wording is proper now. Um, it, like, it just just a whole bunch of things. And I can't really say that I, I was leaning to more towards one, one reason than the other. Like, they all just seem to be on a pretty equal balance. And I would imagine that that's probably a lot of concern today. Ramya, do you feel a lot of concern is based on the do's and don'ts, what we can say? We talk of Apple, and I don't know what Apple's stance is on some of the content. Um, mm -hmm. We know that podcasts, certain things, especially Joe Rogan, things like that, that got into a lot of problems over the pandemic time, giving what was considered misinformation and also causing that to work against what health um what suggestions the, the the WHO and so on, what the health regulations were of any given place, anything that comes to mind for you where you would feel that that host, uh, the producers for that, 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 that they kind of have that power. What do you think this comes from? Well, you got to tiptoe, period, nowadays, because we're living in cancel culture. We're in the full pledge of anything you say will be used against you in the uh, critique of social media, of general public, of whatever. You know, we all have access to everything now. So why wouldn't you care how you're being represented on TV, on radio, in uh, writing? There's times where I've made media appearances to, you know, other uh, resources and I've had a conversation directly with the journalists, directly with the producers. They have links to who I am and what they have access to in uh, just the public eye and still have misquoted me or misrepresented a tiny little detail. And I'm thinking, that's not right. You know, how, how could you put that out there? You know, don't you have enough information on me or didn't I make myself clear? And you start to spiral because... Every tiny little thing you say or every detail about you is accessible to people. And mm -hmm. um, I think that when we're talking specifically with media, as you said, media has the power and entities have the power and authority even to take what you say and manipulate it to fit a story, to fit a particular angle. So I, I don't doubt that these people who come on, these individuals, Margaret, as you talk about, or the entire representation of an organization based on a representative's uh, time with us, time with you, time with a segment, or airtime in general, is going to be nitpicked by 
you know, with supervisors, managers, higher-ups, marketing team, whoever, because, yes, of course it has to be triple and quadruple-checked that you're not going to go on to some show, say something that'll later on be portrayed in a completely different angle than what you intended. Mm. Or a subject that they just, I mean, it's straightforward. We don't want you to talk about that. We don't need the controversy. We don't wish yeah. to, and again, I think shows, you're on a certain network. You know CNN is going to do something different than Fox over there in the States. The way they tell a story, the same story or a topic, is going to be different. Exactly. You may not, your company, go for that. You may, they may, no, we lean the other way. And you can call them out. Well, that's not being as honest with us, the audience. And I think that's a personal call people have to make on themselves. And, you know, Stuart saying, look, it, I want to do this. I want to do that. No, we're not comfortable with that. It's that's ignorant it not to, to look into that. It's ignorant that's if right. you go in you know, completely unaware of how a host might present you. Uh, like if somebody didn't listen to our show and came on, you're just hoping for the best, right? Yeah. Well, and you're hoping, and I think people get into this idea that, yeah, I can say what I want, but no one's going to make me look silly on air, oh, right? Yeah. And, and we got to be careful of wanting it to be a certain way because, oh, leave it to him. He'll say something about this particular topic. And if you agree with it, whether it's a right or, uh, I don't want to say right or wrong, whether it's a harsh opinion or whatever, um, we do, you know, have to be ready for that kickback. But mostly, Margaret, we have to be ready that there's somebody up there running the company, whether they own it, they, they're the boss or whatever. Mm -hmm. Somebody else's, this show is in their hands. I will give you a, a couple of quick examples. Now, Monday, if you want to go back to listen to, the, there's, a, there's a station, it's called Zoomer Radio, and they do a, a show at noon hour every weekday from 12 to 1. It's called Fight Back. But on Monday, they, they played um, an interview with Pierre Polyev, who's the leader of our uh, federal conservative party here in Canada, and, and a journalist. And you know what? I mean, the, the interview shows basically what not to do. I mean, you had Pierre Polyev eating an apple. You had the journalist tripping all over himself because he, he wasn't asking a question properly. And then he was, offend, you know, he was offending Mr. Polyev. And then the same thing about a couple of months ago where I was listening to um, a, a news report or a news interview and the lady had asked the guy about his his partner and the guy said, you just outed our relationship. Oh, right? yeah. Now, okay. You know, I, I so so again, yes, you, you have to be careful. You just don't know. Right. And, and it and comes back to what yeah. you said about respect, ladies. Right. You <laughs> yes. do have to respect the guests, the time, your network, your people and your coworkers, because you can't be putting everybody else now with this, with John Stewart fighting them. There's other people now put out of work from doing mm. this show. And in uh, our case former... too, oh, sorry, Kelly. In our in our case too, you got to remember people are giving us their time, right, to, yep. to tell us yeah. about their things. So yep. you got to remember that. Yeah. Former Canada coach John Herdman said it was a privilege to work with Christine St. Clair, who has announced her retirement from international soccer at the end of the year. He says no one will have ever surpassed her world record of 190 goals. Take a listen. Well, I think it's the right time. And, you know, what more could she have achieved in this game? I mean, what, win a World Cup? Yeah. I mean, she's uh, she's the GOAT, always will be. I can't see another one going to surpass her. Not, not in that position. Herdman and Sinclair won back-to-back -back bronze medals at the Olympics uh, in 2012 and 2016. So... I, this made me think as I also heard a conversation about Doris Burke, who is a broadcaster who is now joining what they consider a number one broadcast team for NBA TV coverage. 
and the legitimacy. Now, we, we talk about that ceiling that's out there when it comes to a difference in pay for ladies doing stuff. We know there's been arguments, especially when it, regarding soccer and the payment, the fairness between the um, U.S. and Canadian women's soccer teams and the male Canadian and U.S. soccer teams debate over that. We come back to this pay thing. The thing I want to, I kind of find interesting is credibility. Doris Burke uh, being a part of this broadcast crew for NBA basketball. Now, we know there's the ladies, the equivalent league the WNBA out there as well. So one might say, well, why isn't she over there broadcasting? Why isn't she being a broadcast over there? Um, what does she know about basketball? Well, this is a woman who has come up the ranks doing college and, and so on to get to doing NBA, who's respected by coaches. This is an argument, Ramya, that I hear, and and I, I, I don't understand how people still think some of the things we do. She doesn't belong talking NBA basketball, how can she relate as a woman? Yeah, obviously this part of the argument, this particular uh, scope of it, you know, how does she know what she's talking about because she's a woman? Okay, cancel that, right? That's just misogyny. Um, but there is something, in my opinion at least, to be said about broadcasting versus knowing the game. And I think that just comes with years of practice. It comes with knowing the ebbs and flows of what it means to be a sports broadcaster. You know, there's different positions, right? We're talking about play-by-play -play and color commentary, and we can tell. You who listens to, Kels, you listen to a lot of sports broadcasting. You have your favorites. Your, uh, you can probably pick out what you would consider some of the challenges that some of the broadcasters have just because you're a broadcaster and a sports fan. So you have both of these angles to kind of uh, check into, right? So there's some of that that I think is legitimate. Like if you're a newer broadcaster, you got to find your footing. Nothing to do with whether you're a woman or not uh, and whether or not you have the legitimacy and the exp expertise of firsthand in sports. That has nothing to do with it. But it's just the time spent practicing, the time spent being a broadcaster, the time spent uh, in going through the mentorships or the coaching to be taken seriously as a broadcaster. I am able to separate these things and compartmentalize. But obviously, if we start the throwing in, yeah, she's a woman, that just, that's just so many biases and years and years of it. Margaret, you watch a lot of political stuff on TV, a lot of news, and we have a lot of male and female uh, broadcasters. We have people who, as we know, with everything, the stuff going on in the Ukraine, the stuff going on Israel and uh, on the Gaza Strip. Do you lend more credibility uh, to those who have had time in these conflict locations when they come on the on the screen? Are you more apt to listen to them or does your standard broadcaster who's watching what they can and now with the way things are today, do you still look for that person that has the experience of maybe spending that time in, in a war torn country or two reporting on it? The only thing that I really look for, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, I mean, anybody can have the experience and anybody can can broadcast it. But I like the straight facts. Like, I know that there's people out there who will tell the story, but then give their opinion. And to me, that's not what I'm looking for. And yes, I, I do like to hear from people who are actually in that situation at the time. But if, if, if it's not, and if they can present the story well without putting their biased opinion on it, then that's okay too, right? Um, and, and that's the thing. And sometimes I, I think that's that that's what goes on uh, more in, I would think, um, some of the American channels that I listen to rather than Canadian channels. Now, that doesn't mm. mean to say that doesn't go on, but I'm saying it, it, it just seems to go on more there 
you know, and if I want the news, I just want the news. I, I don't awesome. want the opinion. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Ramya, growing up, what was Halloween like? Oh, uh, trick or treating basically was Halloween for me. I didn't love getting dressed up, but I was willing to put in the work because it meant that I could go get candy and chocolates. Your favorite <laughs> costume? I was <laughs> uh, not really great for costumes, honestly. Just the basic stuff, you know, the witch. I think I was Sleeping Beauty when I was a kid one time. I didn't get away with onesies and just masks. Like, we always went full-on costumes, but I don't have any favorites other than the one that I pulled off here, which is the character of the nun a couple of years ago at AMI. That Don set you up with, I think? Was it Don? No. That was oh, me. Okay. That was my friend and I. That was you, eh? Make up oh, to the team. Right, right. Okay, yeah. yes. Right. Margaret. What is your memory of, of Halloween? Um, and do you particularly enjoy Halloween over Christmas or which one? Oh, no, no, no. Christmas is, Christmas is, 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 is it for me. Christmas is it for me. Uh, what was Halloween the, like then? Well, Halloween was, was okay. As far as the favorite costume goes, though, Tetley T folk dancer. That's what I dressed up as one year. Who, when, when, who, what, who? The Tetley T folk dancer. <laughs> oh, oh. Tetley T folk dancer. When did yes. you do that? Oh, that was back in 19, uh, 1980, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow. Gosh. Yeah. Wow. And, I, and I had like the oh. bells on the shoes and I had the special mask that had the tea that, that had that we had put the tea bags on. I had this really neat coat. And the only thing I didn't have with me because I didn't know how to carry it with me at the time was that was the music that used to go with it. You know, the dee, lee, 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 right. Lee. Yes. Yeah. I think, Margaret, I picture you more as the Kool-Aid pitcher. Wrapped right up <laughs> and just barging through a door and saying, oh, yeah. Well, at that time. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Max. Bye. Have a good night, guys. Thank you. Margaret Weldon joining us on the roundtable. We do the roundtable Thursdays right here on Kelly and Rumya. Taking a quick break and coming back to wrap up the show with you. We've got uh, teasers for Now with Dave Brown, our morning show. We also got a closing moment and teasers for tomorrow's Kelly and Rumya. We will be back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Welcome back as we wrap up Kelly and Ramya here. We are going to give you a quick heads up about Now with Dave Brown, but a reminder that you can always check out Kelly and Ramya and Now with Dave Brown on your favorite podcast platform by searching for it wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever, and find the content there. Uh, Kels, you're going to give us a teaser of tomorrow's edition of Now with Dave Brown, which is our morning show, 9 a.m. Eastern time daily release weekdays on AMI-tv. What's on the docket? So the Friday news panel gets together, of course, and they talk about the more interesting news stories of the week, including the legal action launched in 41 U.S. states against Meta, also known as Facebook, alleging that it's it and Instagram are knowingly designing features that can lead to addiction. Um, the panel will offer its views on the premise of the legal action that's being filed. Laura Bain will have the entertainment report on the program, and Greg David from our Markham department will have his picks for the Halloween programming from CBC Gym, Netflix, and AMI-TV. All that covered off on Now at Day Brown, 9 a.m. tomorrow. Fabulous. Great Friday lineup. We'll give you a bit of our mm. Friday lineup in the afternoon as well. Uh, but in the meantime, did you start Holly by Stephen King, our book of the oh, month? Oh, gosh, yeah. Did oh, you? Gosh, yeah. Yeah, okay, I, think, I hope uh, it's a quick read because I haven't even started yet. Maybe three weeks ago. Uh, you'll oh. find it slow to begin. 
too early. Interesting. Three That's weeks slow. ago. Well, I have well, to in case I get distracted by another book or podcast. Yeah, fair. I go with the simple line that Greg David gave us when he recommended the book. He said he had it uh, binged it over a weekend. I'm like, if he binged it over a weekend, then I, who speeds it up, well, will yeah, you can binge it over like five hours, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. In theory, you can the way you speed it up. <laughs> I know. Will you enjoy Which it? That's another topic. I'm sure I will. I'm sure. Stephen you will. King. All right. Yep. Here's the closing moment, okay? Um, I don't know if this is news to you, but it was definitely kind of awkward news to me. Supermarket apples can be up to a year old by the time they're in the supermarket. So those fresh apples aren't all that fresh, per se. They're usually picked between August and November, of course, and covered in wax, hot air dried, and then sent into cold storage. And then after 6 to 12 months... <laughs> They finally land on our grocery store shelves. Now, um, if this is true, then why, when I finally bring those apples home, do they get gross within a couple of weeks and wrinkly and ugh? Because they're not dry stored. The wax isn't protecting them. Oh, seriously? So as, as long as they're, as soon as they're exposed to the air, that's when I get mm -hmm. the compromised apples? Yeah. Interesting. Refrigerated tasting apples. Um, what I learned about apples that puzzled me was I did a piece for MITV once and went to an apple orchard and picked, and I was shocked at how big the apples were. I, I was more concerned with, hey, what the heck do they do to shrink these down? How come we don't see these? I don't get any apples that big. And I remember as a kid stealing apples from apple orchards when we'd be walked out of the road, climbing the fence, and, yeah. ooh, an apple, right? And grabbing yeah. apples. They're always bigger. But, but what happens strange, in the right? store? Exactly. Yeah, that's that's strange. They must shrink. You would think they would get engorged for our purposes in the store. You know, they make them look more red and luscious and big and shiny. Why are they bigger on the trees? Very I don't know. I think uh, they probably know they'd have to do the bigger prices or the farmers keep them for themselves. <laughs> oh, I oh, I'll make a bigger they, pie with this one. They shrink them, bringing them into the store. Well, you put them in wax, it might shrink them right down, right? Yeah. Are you a fan of apples? I don't know. Do you eat apples just like that? Uh, some. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I eat, usually I eat a few apples a week. Do you like the sour green kind? Um, I like the, a bit of the sweeter, but mm -hmm. I don't really know. And I i can't keep track of apples. I have no idea. You could Which say a red what? delicious or whatever. I don't you know. You have no idea. All I know is yeah. the Fuji ones because they they have like this softness to it that other apples don't have. We were obsessed. Uh, as I pretty kids. well like any apple. Mm. Okay. Not an yeah. apple fan. All right. Max were a little too dry. Think. Oh, I see, think you know more about apples than you're putting on. Come on. Uh, let's give people the idea of Friday lineup on Kelly and Romeo tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern time. We have the chatty bookshelf with Ryan Huey, and he's highlighting two celebrity memoirs. One of them we know is the Britney Spears one, The Woman in Me. The World Series matchup has been set between Arizona and Texas. Brock Richardson, he previews it in our sports update. All that and more on Kelly and Romeo at 2 p.m. Eastern time on Friday. We'll catch you then. One of the fun things to do is build promos, right? I mean, usually they're written, but we get a lot of questions. Hey, what would you like to have in this promo? What do you think? This is some of my ideas we're targeting, and it's fun to be able to give the feedback. I've always enjoyed that uh, with the promo process, and sometimes we, we think we, we contribute some good stuff to it. Sometimes you stop and say, ooh, maybe not as good. And we used to do these things for the audio show, and um, we enjoyed them, and they were little bits that started our second hour. And one of the ones we did, and these were just short little pieces to kind of make people smile or make you think, I did one on 
the sounds of horns, the language of them. Car horns I was referring to at the, you know, as we did this piece, we had different types and I would refer to the one that, you know, it says, hi, uh, you know, hey, how are you to that person you don't know? Or, hey, friend, remember me? You know me. I've been your friend since school. The, all the horns, when people honk at people, you definitely could read them and know what that's about. Obviously, the long, as a, you know, somebody's telling you, get out of the way. Some of them are far, far more evident than others. Or that little quick whoop. And I, I'm sure you've sat there. You know, you turn and know it's not a ah, jump out of the way horn. If someone's whoop at you, it might be that, oh, my goodness, that's so-and-so. Or, hey, come here. Might fall in. Hey, is that you, Fred? So I've always found that kind of interesting since I was a child and someone who had to depend on his ears so much being blind, for me, it was, oh, yeah, oh, oh, oh get out of there. Um, and just letting you know, as opposed to the police one that comes up as, uh-uh, and you know, uh-oh, uh-uh is like, uh-oh. I always smiled and got a kick out of that language of horns, a great warning. Um, I mean, doesn't mean you can do anything about it if it's a warning, but generally the best part of it is the saying hi. Remember, join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.